question. What is the hardest change that's happened to you in your life? Ended up in Australia, no money whatsoever. For those people out there that aren't familiar with, with what you do, how would you describe what you do? 110,000 followers on TikTok and 44,000 followers on Instagram. Why, why do you think people, people follow you? I think it's a combination of... So your video about not using bullet points on PowerPoint has over 2.2 million views on TikTok. <laughs> Honestly, that video gave me nightmares. <laughs> so many people have it on their, in their LinkedIn profiles or on their CV, proficient in Excel. And what I'm seeing is when I post something that I think is really basic, that's a video that will get a million views. That's what I did was an Excel video. And it just thousands and thousands of views and I was like oh my probably the most popular topic um I wish everybody knew hi Deb thanks so much for coming on the podcast um really looking forward to talking to you today so always the first question what is the hardest change that's happened to you in your life Oh, that's always a good question. Um, I think for me, I mean, I think everybody goes through lots of different changes, whether it be personal or professional. For me, the hardest change, I think, and it kind of ties into both personal and professional, in was probably when I moved back from Australia to the UK. It was like a massive reverse culture shock almost. Um, because, I mean, this is a very long story, but I'll try and make it brief. Um, I moved over to Australia when I was about 18. Um, didn't intend to, just went traveling for a year, ended up in Australia, no money whatsoever. I was kind of forced to go out and try and find a job. And again, to cut a very long story short, managed to find a job, ended up moving out there, living out there for about 11 years. So my entire adult life, really, from age 18 to whenever I came back, you know, 11 years, that was in Australia and what a lot of people said to me when I said I was coming back to the UK people would be like oh so you're going home and for me at that time it just it didn't feel like home my entire adult life had been lived over in Australia you know I'd only ever really lived as a child in the UK I still lived with my parents when I left there um, and that transition which you would think would be easy because you're coming back to somewhere that you grew up was just incredibly difficult. Just getting used to living as an adult in a country that everybody sees as being your home country, but it felt like a foreign country to me, you know, like trying to get used to, I didn't even know that you had to pay things like council tax or anything like that, <laughs> because it was so different. And then having to build a life, um, I'd left a lot of things, you know, all of my friends are in Australia. I'd also, I was in a relationship in Australia and that had broken up. So I, I was sort of back in England with no job in a foreign country. I'd left all my friends over there, no partner. And it was just very, very difficult. And the other thing was that when I came back, the job that I did in Australia didn't really exist in the UK. So I was then in that position where I had all this experience in a job that wasn't really a thing here. So sort of trying to figure out how you're going to, you know, carve out a career and uh, proceed was really, really difficult. So that would probably be the biggest, the wow, biggest challenge I've had. <laughs> that, that, that's a big change. And I guess people, um, I mean, I didn't know that about you, that, um, that obviously you'd gone out there when you were 18 and, and come back, I guess, yeah, never really imagined that you wouldn't know 
out of it. It's, it's almost like starting again, but people take yes. it for granted that you just know know what you need to do. Um, exactly. Yeah. W- would you do it again if you had the? Did, did you make the right decision? You know what? At the time, because that first year after I came back was so incredibly difficult, and you know, I had no money. I was doing a job that I really didn't like. I didn't know where I was going. I was living in this tiny studio apartment in North London, which I couldn't really afford. (laughs) (laughs) It was was very depressing. And I remember I had to choose between, (laughs) but I remember just eating one night. I just made some pasta with like milk because I couldn't afford anything else. (laughs) It was ridiculous for that first year. Um, so would I do it again? Um, I think I'm a bit old to do it now. I think it requires a lot of energy to do that kind of thing. And I'm not sure if I have the the energy to do that again. So probably not is the answer. <laughs> but, but, but you still love traveling. So you, 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 you must like change and travel. Um, so you, uh, I know you've been over to, to over 60 countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so where does that love of travel come from? You know, I don't really know. I mean, I put 60 countries, it's actually 85. Oh, wow. Um, 60 <laughs> countries is actually solo. Um, the rest okay. I sort of did with partner. So, you know, there's a big difference between traveling with someone and. Yeah. Um, I don't know where that love of travel came from, really. Um, I think it's because growing up, it didn't really go anywhere. Like, my parents weren't really big into traveling at all like all of our holidays when I was a child were in the UK um the only time we went abroad was when we went to Florida when I was a teenager we went there once and I was like wow you know like going (laughs) somewhere on a plane so I didn't go on a plane until I was 14 um so I think the fact that I saw all of my other friends going to all these different places I was like I want to go to these places and I was sort of fortunate enough I met um, my partner quite young and he was really into traveling and so we sort of did it together and you know it was nice to sort of go away and have somebody who was a bit more experienced in that kind of stuff sort of go with you at the time and I just fell in love with it and um yeah been jet setting around the world ever since (laughs) any advice for uh for best place you've been oh people always ask me this they always (laughs) say where is the best country that you've been um I think for me, I really, really enjoyed Nepal. Like okay. I loved Nepal. I spent quite a bit of time there. Um, and I think it's because I really love hiking. And, you know, obviously in Nepal, you've got the best scenery yeah. in the world. I did a few sort of treks up to Mount Everest Base Camp and all of those kinds of things. Again, those were very challenging if you're talking about challenging things in your life. Um, that would be my favourite country. I absolutely fell in love with it. But I haven't been there for a few years now, so... Maybe that would change if I went back. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to to when you were younger, you didn't go to college or or university, did you? Is that because did did you know what you wanted to do when you were younger? Or no, I wish I had a grand plan that I could tell you about, but I I didn't. Um, people are always surprised when I say that as well. I think people they kind of look at me and assume that you know you went to college you went to university you did the whole shebang but it it just didn't go that way for me that was my intention and I think for young people particularly these days um they don't tend to know that there are alternative paths through a career I don't think it's as well publicized as it should be um you know I grew up thinking okay you go to school you go to college 
you go to university, you get your first job. And that's just the way life is. That's how it goes. That's the path you take. And I didn't realize that there was an alternative, but I was very lucky in the fact that, and I put a lot of my career down to luck. <laughs> um, I went on work experience when I was 15, you know, when you're 15 and they kind of send you off to a yeah. company for a couple of weeks and you kind of sit there shuffling paper around. I knew somebody who worked at um, Britannia Railways. So I grew up in Luton. Very famously, we have a, an airport there. <laughs> and um, Britannia Railways was based there. I don't think they exist anymore. But um, I knew somebody who worked there. It was actually my old um, dancing partner. I grew up as a dancer as well, um, used to compete and things like that. Um, and they worked in the IT team at Britannia Airways. And uh, she said to me, oh, if you're looking for work experience over the summer, you know, for a couple of weeks, I'll get you in at Britannia. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I went there for like two weeks. They had me sitting on the IT help desk and um, just basically logging calls and answering the phone. I couldn't really fix anything, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know anything. I was only six, um, so 16, 15 at the time. But I was pretty good on the phone. I would talk to people and, you know, I'd log the call and people seemed to like me. Um, so I did that for two weeks and then I went back to school and um, I had my final year at school. I sat my GCSEs. That was all good. We passed all of those. And I thought to myself, OK, I'm going to go off to college now. And I think I was going to do media studies and government and politics at college, which seems really weird now. And um in that summer period before I was going to go to college, the Britannia contacted me again and said, we've got somebody going on maternity leave on the help desk. Um, could you come in and just cover the phones for six weeks over summer and we'll pay you like a hundred pounds a week. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> when you're young and back in the nineties, I was like, oh my God, that's so much. So I did it and I really enjoyed it. And then just at the end of that six weeks, the manager basically said to me, oh, we'd really love to offer you like a year's contract here. Um, we'll train you in all of the IT applications. Um, and then we'll, we'll see after that. So I thought, oh, OK. And because I'd had such a brilliant time like for that six weeks, I really wanted to do it, you know. So I remember. I remember going home to my parents as well saying oh you know because your parents they always want you to go to college and university but they were actually brilliant they were basically said to me you know do what you want to do what you think is best so and that's quite a lot of faith for parents to put into a 16 year old you know um but I appreciate the fact that they were very hands-off and I said I really want to do this and sort of the deal was um if nothing came of it after a year I would then go to college and I said okay that's fair enough so that's kind of what happened. And I've never been to college. I've never been back. So I sort of <laughs> snowballed from there, really. <laughs> well, it looks like it turned out pretty well and, and good advice yeah. from, from your parents. Um, yeah. So those for those people out there that aren't familiar with, with what you do, how would you describe what you do? It's funny. I posted this on LinkedIn the other day <laughs> because I said, does anybody else – ever struggle to explain what they do to other people and I had so many people say yes I do nobody understands me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it seems quite simple like I am um historically I've been your sort of bog standard um IT trainer um a lot of the time I've been in 
a large part of my career, I've been an in-house trainer. So um, working in-house at companies, I spent about eight years in sort of law firms um, where they always have their own internal training team um, to train people on the Microsoft applications, but also legal-based applications as well. So I spent a long time doing that. And that's very standard sort of classroom training. You know, people come session, you train them and, you know, that's it. Um, so most of my career was that style of training, in-house, classroom, standing up all day, that kind of stuff. Over the years, it started to trans, um, transform more into towards the online kind of arena. And I think that's just generally how things started to go in the industry as a whole. Um, and I moved around a lot of different jobs. I think I was really trying to find something that really suited me. Um, so I sort of job hopped quite a bit. And it wasn't really until 2016 where I went to work for a startup uh, based in East London. And that was all online training. It was a completely different environment to what I've been used to. I've been used to sort of very corporate in the city. This was very like very hipster, very relaxed. There were beanbags. You know, it was all very chilled out. You know, we were all in jeans. We all carried MacBooks. It was that kind of vibe. And um, I really liked it. I thought, oh, this is a this is a bit more me. <laughs> and um, I got into the online training sort of from there. They the whole thing was putting together online training courses. And I found that that is what I really enjoyed doing as opposed to standing up all day in the classroom and talking, which after so many years of doing that, it's very hard. It, it is very difficult to do that all day, every day. Yeah. Show all day. You can't relax. You've got, you know, things you're trying to remember your answer questions it's just it's very intense and it takes a toll on you I was getting sick all the time because you're using your voice all day I always had sore throats it was very hard so that transition into online I was like this is perfect I think this is kind of how I want to move forward so to answer your question I told you I go off on massive tangents. <laughs> bring it back around to your question um my job now I would say is more content creator um that is how I describe myself um, I would say Microsoft content creator. It's still training, but all of my work is online um, these days. I design, um, I'm now freelance and I design online training courses for different clients to sell. So I work for um, a few large um, learning providers, training companies who sell training courses. I put those courses together for them. Um, I offer a full service um, uh, Full service. I offer a full service. <laughs> That's what I should say there. <laughs> so from the uh, creation to editing to uploading, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then in the last seven months, this is where I've kind of moved more into um, setting myself up because my end, uh, my aim is to sell my own training courses on my own website as opposed to through client sites. So I can do them exactly as I want to do them. Um, and for the last seven months, I've kind of been building an audience on social media so that when I am ready to launch, I have a group of engaged people sort of ready there. So that's sort of been my focus over, over the last year. There's, um, there's a lot to unpack there. I guess I'll, I'll focus on <laughs> my favorite topic that, that you discuss um, in your content, which is Microsoft Excel. So... Um, and I saw yes. on your profile that um, 
the quote that said proficient in excel let's make that true so do you think yeah. most do you think most people are proficient in excel or not oh it's a bit of a joke in the in the excel world <laughs> that whole proficient in excel that's kind of like a meme for the excel people <laughs> you know because so many people have it on their in their linkedin profiles or on their cv you know, proficient in excel and um but what we find as trainers a lot of the time is that people have that, but <laughs> they don't, you know, they, they can open a workbook and maybe type a few things into the cells, but they're not really proficient in Excel. Um, mostly, you know, it doesn't apply to everybody, but it's sort of a bit of a running joke. So I thought I would, <laughs> when I was trying to think of a tagline for my company, I thought, oh, that's actually quite good. Proficient in Excel. Let's make that true. <laughs> <laughs> and clearly there's lots of people that, that aren't proficient in excel and there's nothing wrong with that but do you think i mean i'm thinking back and it was a long time ago for when, when i was younger did did anybody teach teach us how to use excel and yet it's such an important skill to have in in so many jobs you know i'm hesitant to say most jobs but a lot of jobs you need to be and i think i think i remember briefly learning how to use the basics off my dad and I think that's just because he used it for work and it, yeah has that improved in schools or or anywhere else you know are people still are people being taught how to how to become proficient in excel at school no and this is the thing and this is what I'm finding out this is why having an active social media community is so helpful because you get to find out you know what what the actual situation is from people who work with Excel. You know, I've got a lot of, I think when you post on TikTok a lot, and that's my main platform, you know, I, it's a Gen Z platform, you know, so you've got the younger people on there who are, and all I hear from them is we're not taught this. Um, you know, um, I've just got my first job and they're expecting me to know all these things in Excel and I have no idea, um, you know, thank God for your videos. Do you know what I mean? That kind of thing. So it seems to me that there is, these skills aren't being taught. And as you rightly said, Excel feeds through to most jobs. You know, it's um, it's an element of most jobs that you find these days. It doesn't really matter what you do. You're probably going to have to either touch Excel or Google Sheets at some point. And so, you know, being able to complete tasks that you've been asked to complete efficiently is going to be to your benefit and that's what i'm seeing um is um people aren't being taught and there's a huge skills gap when it comes to uh basic excel skills so many people don't even know the basics um and what i've found online because there are so many people who train excel and there's some brilliant people online who have been very successful with their YouTube accounts and things like that. What I find with a lot of them, they tend to focus more towards intermediate and advanced and sort of forget about the basics a lot of the time. And what I'm seeing is when I post a, a really, something that I think is really basic, that's a video that will get a million views. Do you know what I mean? Like the most basic thing will get a million views, whereas you do something more complicated and 5,000, you know, it's... <laughs> Crazy. So to me, that says there's a massive skills gap and people, particularly young people these days, aren't being taught these skills that they need when they go into the workforce. I think what I worry about, and well, I'll ask a question rather than rather than tell you what I think, but you know, do you think people get embarrassed to say that they can't use Excel? Because it's kind of an expected when you, especially as you move 
into positions, you know, higher up in in organisations. Like, do you think, you know, do you think it's causing people embarrassment, and then where do they go from there? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it definitely has the potential to, you know, um, particularly if you've put proficient in Excel on your resume, <laughs> and then you know your manager comes to you and wants you to analyze a data set and you don't even know where to start yeah i think that kind of does strike panic into people um and yeah i mean i think i think it does i think it does i'm I'm trying to think back to whether i've ever had anybody in my in the teams that have managed that have come to me and said they don't know how to do something in excel or or you know if they've just sent me the sheet as is rather than rather than worrying about asking um so I, if think were- older people, I think older people generally tend to feel more embarrassment than younger people I, I found that younger people these days are very like oh I don't know how to do that or we weren't taught you know they're very mm. vocal about what well, you know they do whereas older people I think feel that they probably should know that yeah. you know by, <laughs> by this day and they don't and so they're less likely to maybe sort of let you know but I think that runs across everything sometimes I feel embarrassed you know there's things yeah. I look at things online because the thing is when you're an Excel trainer people assume you know absolutely everything everything and you don't you know you just it's impossible to know absolutely everything and sometimes I look at YouTube videos and think oh I didn't know that I probably should have or occasionally I'll post a video on TikTok and somebody will come on and say oh well, you could have done it this way and I'll think oh my god I didn't know that <laughs> you, know I mean? you should know that so it, it feels embarrassing but you can't really take it as embarrassing because it's just Everybody's learning still, even if you're good at Excel and you're an Excel trainer, it's all a big learning journey for everybody. And if there was one thing you wish everybody could do in Excel, one oh. what one thing, what what do you think it would I know you've got loads, but you know, if you if there's oh. one thing you wish everybody could do it that, that it would save them time and, and everything else, is there one thing you would you would suggest? Is there one thing? You know what? Probably the most popular topic um i wish everybody knew how to do um a lookup in excel <laughs> that is that is by far the most popular thing that i ever post and i think that any excel creator would say that if you do anything related to lookups um that tends to be really popular and again lookups are something which people have to use all the time and people find them very difficult so i wish that everybody knew how to do that <laughs> well, definitely be checking out the videos that you've done about lookups um and i guess popular topic at the moment for is ai um and how do you think the rapid expansion of ai is gonna affect people affect excel use you know if you could if you could predict yeah. the future i think i mean this has been a very hot topic you know generally but also um in certain industries you know particularly industries that are possibly going to be impacted greatly um by this new technology you know you see a lot of posts by copywriters and writers particularly um for us in the excel industry when i first saw it i thought oh oh god oh no is this gonna like (laughs) i'm gonna be unemployed like (laughs) they don't need me anymore they can just like you know get chat uh chat gpt to generate the formula but the more i kind of looked into this i sort of thought to myself okay and i did a few videos on this actually like um which i posted on my social media using chat gpt to create 
take things like formulas in Excel. Now, some things I find it brilliant for. For me, the best use, and I use it all the time for this, is generating data sets. So, you know, for practice. So if you want to practice your Excel skills, you need data to practice on. And ChatGPT is brilliant. It will generate you a data set that you can practice on nice and quick, nice and simple. You don't have to go hunting around different sites looking for a data set that you can use. Great. When I tried it with formulas, it wasn't bad, but it didn't get it quite correct. Mm. Um, so I feel like if you are solely relying on chat GPT in order to work with Excel, I feel like you need to have some background knowledge of Excel in order to understand if that formula is working or if it doesn't work, why it hasn't worked. So I think you still, it's going to be useful to assist people, but I think you're going to still need to have um, some knowledge in Excel in order to be able to use that tool effectively. So I look at it more now as an assistance tool, um, but again, this isn't really anything new for Excel because there's been um, AI-like products for formulas for years. There's a very famous one called FormulaBot that's been around for a long time, which basically does the same thing. It will generate formulas, um, much like ChatGPT. That's been around for years. Um, you know, people use it, some people don't. Um, so it will be interesting to see how everything plays out. But I think all you can do is embrace new technology because it's not going to go away. So you either work with it or, you know, you don't. Um, and definitely for me, the best way forward is to work with it and incorporate it in. And I know that Microsoft have been, they were very quick off the mark when this came out. And I think they, did they buy, did they buy I it? Think or, so, or something yeah. like that. Like, yeah, because they've now, they're shortly releasing a product called uh, Copilot, which is basically chat gpt but it's going to be integrated into the application so it's going to be very interesting to see how how that all plays out i guess i wonder if the gap might be with user error in terms of so you know if i've not named my columns in the right order or yeah. you know something as technical as that it's got to try and understand what's going in my brain what i want out of it and i think that's that's the hard bit isn't it for the ai to to find is because everything's every business and every use is so specific, you know, it's, yeah, it's we're, no we're not all doing the same thing, are we? So, um, but, but it's yeah. No but prompts to put in there. And I think, I mean, the only thing I worry about is that I, I could see a potential dumbing down of people in general. You know, mm. if you are just getting a tool to generate formulas and you don't really understand what they're doing, um, you're not really, you don't really have that knowledge um, do you know what I mean? You, it's. I could see that happening if people rely too heavily on AI to do these things. I think it's interesting what you say about copywriters as well. I was doing a bit of a bit of a test run myself, so putting out some blogs, Chat GPT generated, and comparing them to things I wrote myself, and the engagement yeah. on the stuff you write yourself is way higher. You know, people just, yeah. you know, it's it, it's not. It's not necessarily formulated. I know you can change that how how it sort of formulates the language, but I do wonder. Yeah. You know, it's it's going to kill off blogs on the internet, I think, and things like that. So, um, but I think Excel is probably a bit more nuanced than um, than, yeah, than some of that. Time. Um, <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about content on social media, actually. So, um, I mean, I've I think I said to you before that uh, I've been on TikTok a little bit. 
yeah. but it's not i've not not taken the plunge onto tiktok hugely <laughs> um but i mean the posts put on instagram they look fantastic you know as well as being informative they look great but that must take a lot of time on work you know like yeah. talk to me about how you you know the the work that you have to put in just to generate and get that content looking so good and actually being useful for people. Yeah, it's, um, it is a lot of work. And I think if you need to put it in context, you know, currently I don't get paid for any, anything that I do on social media, mm. you know, apart from the odd thing here and there, I have done things like sponsored posts for Instagram, but it's a minimal amount of money. So everything I'm doing on social media at the moment, it is for the future almost. So I still need to live. So I still need to work for, you know, like eight hours a day for my clients. So it's almost like you have two jobs. So it's like I spend all day doing my work for my clients. And then in the evening and at the weekends, that's when I produce all of my social media content. So it does, if you're not willing to work uh, a lot <laughs> every <laughs> single day, you know, you're probably, um, you're probably not going to be able to grow your audience because the thing I basically decided um, in September last year, I, I came sort of had an epiphany. I went on holiday and I'd been saying for like a year that I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to get my courses going and I want to, you know, grow grow a following or grow an audience on social media. And I just never got around to it because I was just so busy. I went away on holiday in August last year. I came back, I was like, right, I'm going to do it. And I think I'd never used TikTok before in my life. Now, the reason why um, a lot of Excel creators gravitate towards TikTok is because there was one TikTok Excel creator who had enormous amounts of success on TikTok. Um, I won't say her account, just in case. <laughs> but everybody probably knows who I mean. She dances in front of spreadsheets and um, very, she became huge on TikTok during the pandemic and has just gone up and up and up and up since then. So, since that happened, I think everybody sort of went, oh, training Excel on TikTok. Nobody had really thought about it before because it's sort of such a small area. Like trying to train on that just seems like crazy. Um, but I thought, no, I'm going to try. I'm going to give TikTok a go. And I'd never used the platform before in my life. So just trying to work out how to do it and get the spreadsheet behind me and get me. And that was a, a challenge in itself. And um I was sort of felt like I was waiting for the perfect moment and the perfect video. And, you know, my hair and my makeup had to be perfect before I put my first piece of content out. And in the end, all of that procrastinating was stopping me from actually posting anything. So I just remember one day I was in an old T-shirt. <laughs> I had no makeup on. I recorded a video and I just posted it on TikTok. And I thought, there we go. I've started. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I've just done it. It's it's out there now. It got quite a few views. I was like, oh, this, this is exciting. So then I thought, right, okay. It wasn't even an Excel video, the first one that I posted. It was just something silly. The next one I did was an Excel video. And it just, like, thousands and thousands of views. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, <laughs> I've never experienced that before in any of my content. Like, so many people watching it. I was like, oh, my God. Um. And that kind of really motivates you. And that's the thing about TikTok is that it is, compared to other platforms, it's quite it's got quite a democratic algorithm. Um, you know, if you post on platforms like YouTube, they tend to favour 
people already have a large audience. You know, if you look for any Excel video on YouTube, you're going to get the same five creators at the top of that list. For you as a small creator to make any kind of impact in the Excel space on YouTube is really, really difficult. Your videos are going to be way down the list. Nobody's going to find them. Mm. And that's what I find on YouTube. If I post something on there, nobody really sees it, you know, because it's so hard. Whereas on TikTok, anybody can post a video and it could be successful. You know, it's much more democratic, I find. Yeah. So you have small creators who have, have a million views on a video. You know, it's it's pretty good in that way. Um, so that kind of kicked off my journey and I just carried on posting. And I thought, right, I'm going to try for once in my life to be completely consistent with something <laughs> because I'm the type of person I get really excited, but then it kind of tails off, you know, mm-hmm. and I thought I'm going to post a video every single day on TikTok for six months just to see what happens. So that's what I did. And I still do it. We're sort of nine months in now. I still post a video every single day on TikTok. And I just focused on TikTok initially. Yeah. And um, the results of that, I mean, I can't even begin to describe the things that have happened over the last nine months, purely based on the fact that I am reasonably popular on TikTok now. So many good things have come out of this, so many exciting things, things that are coming up in the future. I've been presented with so many opportunities just because of these TikTok videos. And it's just, it's mad to me. (laughs) I just find it, it just blows my mind. But it does prove that if you've got good quality videos where you're teaching people something and you're consistent, then good things do happen and people do like that kind of stuff. So I started with TikTok and then I thought, and then I was posting on Instagram and um, but not really, I wasn't really concentrating on that. But then all of a sudden, my Instagram just started to go like that. So I thought, oh, I better make these videos a little bit better on Instagram. And my followers have just gone up on there as well. You know, it was like a rapid, um, a rapid progression on Instagram. And I saw all of my social media accounts started to grow. And I think it's purely because of the, the TikTok following. Um, I don't know how they all link together. But when it comes to the actual design, like you mentioned, the design of the thumbnails and um, things like that, yeah, I mean, it does take a lot of work. And I think for Excel people, or, you know, most Excel people are very um, right-brained. So, you know, very logical people. You know, we train Excel, we're very logical. And you find that a lot of people struggle with the more creative side, you know, like creating thumbnails or, you know, designing websites and things like that. I think I'm fortunate in a way that I am quite left-brained as well. I've always been very interested in design, graphic design. I was designing websites in the 90s. I really enjoyed, you know, that type of thing. Um, so I feel like I'm, I'm sort of quite good at that. Not amazing, but I'm pretty good at that. Um, and I enjoy it. So for me, the design element of it is quite the fun part. You know, like I do all of my thumbnails in bed at night on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> That was one of the questions I had actually, because you know it's you know one thing I know about you is obviously you had photography appear in the Evening Standard, and therefore, yes. yeah, you must be quite a creative person as but as well as training Excel and and like you say, I'm not sure that people would necessarily put those two together. But do you think that's sort of perhaps that's helped you be successful certainly on social media because you're combining the two and and perhaps that's why you know nobody else is is doing it in quite such a visual way a hundred percent i i really do um 
I think it's really helpful if you do have both and you can do both things because you know <laughs> I've been accused before by other people of being like, oh you spend way too long on the design of things you know like the design of my website is just taking forever because I'm just like it's not that bad <laughs> you spend way too long on your thumbnails but for me the visuals are so important if you think about when you go to a website if that website doesn't look good you know you're less likely to buy a product if it looks like it was created in the 1990s you're probably not going to want to buy a product from that. You know, a visual is really important. And the same thing with a YouTube thumbnail, that's what gets people to click on your video. You know, the same thing with an Instagram thumbnail. You know, if everything looks good, then I really think that goes a long way to people clicking on your stuff, buying things. Um, so I think it's a really important part. And if you are fortunate that you can do both, then that definitely is going to be an advantage moving forward. So your video about not using bullet points in PowerPoint has yeah. over 2.2 million views on TikTok. Yeah. So why did that video resonate with, with people so much? Oh, God, that video. <laughs> you know what it was? I had I spend a lot of time learning about the TikTok algorithm because it changes all the time so i follow a lot of tiktok strategists because they tend to be up on the things you should be doing in order to you know get more eyes on your video and during that period of time a big thing they were saying was videos that have sort of a negative edge to the title um are getting more clicks so i thought okay what can i do that's gonna cause a bit of controversy because again videos which are a bit controversial will also get eyes on your video so i thought okay i'm gonna i'm gonna do a video about how you shouldn't use bullet points in your presentation now i didn't pick that out of nowhere that wasn't just something that i came up with this was something that when i was learning how to be a trainer i was taught um i was taught a lot about how people are more visual and they respond and remember things like pictures and things like that as opposed to just lines of text you know if you think about presentations that you've sat through where someone's put up a slide and it's just like a wall of text it's sort of not very engaging you don't really remember whereas if that is more represented in maybe an image or something that's interesting or maybe slightly shocking it stands out more in your mind so that was sort of the premise behind it and if you note, also, I read an article, and this was true, that some of the largest companies in the world, for example, Microsoft, Apple, you will never see them use bullet points in their presentations. And I started looking at this, and I was like, oh, you're right, they don't. So, you know, it wasn't just something that I picked out of nowhere. So I did this video, which <laughs> I just thought, oh, no one's really going to watch this. It was, you know, stop using bullet points in your presentations was the hook. And... It just took on a life of its own. <laughs> it was like a war zone in that comment section. Like <laughs> people were angry. <laughs> angry people about bullet points. Angry that I was like suggesting that they might possibly decide not to use bullet points in a presentation. <laughs> and then it went outside of my followers. And this this tends to happen. So, you know, most of my videos are shown to my followers my followers view the videos and if people are following you it's because they like your content and they like you and you know most of the comments are very complimentary everybody says thank you you know really appreciate it you know really interesting whatever but then if your video gets popular enough tiktok pushes it to what they call the fyp page 
which is the For You page, um, and it mm. gets sort of shown to everybody <laughs> on, on the general internet. And then so you get people who don't know anything about you, don't follow you. you they see your video as a standalone entity. And so then, you know, it was mostly people who don't follow me who were really angry that I was suggesting <laughs> this. And, um, you know, I was responding to all the comments. There were so many comments. And after a while, I was just like, I'm just going to have to leave this alone now. It's got a life of its own. But, yeah, that is my most popular video. It's like 2.2 million and it carries on climbing. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess the tactic worked, you know. It got a lot of eyes on the on the video. How do you deal with the the mean and the angry comments? Uh, like? Yeah, I mean, this was one of the things that's kind of stopped me from posting on social media before because I I know about myself. I am quite a sensitive person, you know, and um, everybody likes nice comments. You know, it's nice, but sometimes I don't respond well to bad comments or, you know, it does make me think, I think too much about, the one mm. negative comment that's been left as opposed to the 50 that are all positive, you know, and it plays on my mind. And what you find is a lot of the time, I think you have to remember the way I think about it now is that if somebody who doesn't know you has bothered to stop and leave a really nasty comment on an innocuous video about bullet points, I think that says more about them than it does about you you know I, I tend to think there's probably something going on in your life that's making you you do that because you know we all come across the videos on social media that we're not interested in or we don't like or we don't agree with I don't think I've ever stopped to leave a horrible comment to the person who's created that video I think you have to be a certain kind of person in order to do that so I tend to just think of it in that way now um or I try to, but yeah, of course it affects you. You're a human being, you know, and if somebody's being genuinely nasty to you for no real reason, then yeah, it does affect you, but you kind of, you do get used to it after a while. Fortunately, all of my TikTok followers are absolutely lovely. Um, so that's the majority that I get. So it's fine. <laughs> I did see on LinkedIn that so you put a poll on LinkedIn and somebody copied it, which, which I find bizarre. That so, and, and luckily your followers spotted it that someone was. Yes. But but do you get a lot of that? People just copying the content that you put out. You know, it's a massive thing in the Excel community at the moment. It comes off of the back of a post that was made uh, a couple of weeks before that by another Excel creator who had noticed that a lot of content, particularly from smaller creators on Instagram and TikTok, was being copied directly copied or they were taking the actual video posting it on their linkedin account not getting, giving any credit whatsoever to the person who created the video so they'll make a post like oh you know great thing that you can do in excel they'll post this video of some content creator who they've obviously grabbed the video from social media no tag no nothing and this happens a lot and Fair play to the guy who called this out. You know, he was very thorough in his calling out of this. You know, he tagged all the people. And then other people started finding more people who were doing the same thing, like taking videos from smaller creators and posting them as if they were their own or in order to promote their own stuff. So it goes on a lot. Um, I haven't had it really happen to me on a video. I have had people take the video and post it as opposed to repost, they have posted it. 
but they've given me a, a credit at the bottom. I'm still not quite sure how I feel about that, but at least they have given you credit and a link back to um, your original video. Um, but the poll thing, that seems so bizarre to me because it was such an innocuous poll. Um, it was just me trying to find out the version of Excel that people use because there's just such a wide variety. And I wanted to see what was the most popular to help me when I'm putting together my courses. So I know sort of where the biggest audience is. And yeah, <laughs> somebody literally took that poll. It was the exact, it was literally the same poll because it was the exact same wording and then reposted it. I just thought, that's really weird. And they could have just waited for the it. result. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't know what is the point of that. But um, as you mentioned, it wasn't me who noticed it. It was um, one of my followers who pointed it out. So, and yeah. <laughs> you've got, I mean, I think my numbers are right, 110,000 followers on TikTok. and 111 uh, now. 111 <laughs> and 44,000 followers on Instagram. So if you could sum up why people follow you why, why do you think people people follow you I think it's a combination of a few things and I'm going to be completely honest about this um I think if you are a woman in the Excel community and you look all right I think that's <laughs> a big advantage I really do and like people won't mention it but I really do. I think that is an advantage. Um, sadly, we live in that kind of world. But, you know, you do have to use that to your advantage as well, you know. Um, so I think that is something. But that wouldn't count for anything if the content was rubbish. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So you have to have both. So, you know, I think for me, I was doing something a bit different on TikTok to what the most of the Excel creators were doing at that time. So if you look on TikTok for Excel videos, you'll find that the majority of the videos are just screencasts. So there's no person speaking with music playing in the background and they're just taking you through and it will be like 30 seconds and under and it's done. So quick tips basically, which are fairly generic. Um, there's no real connection with the person who's um, created the video because you don't see them at all and they don't speak most of the tips are like that and I understand why people do that because when TikTok first sort of became popular particularly sort of during the pandemic um, people just wanted short form snappy content but it's changed so much TikTok isn't that kind of platform anymore like people who don't post on there I think still have this idea that TikTok is this app where people just go on and dance to different songs for 30 seconds and then they're done it's not that app anymore. It is such a platform for education these days. Everything is about education, whether you are a personal trainer teaching different, um, you know, weight training or, you know, whatever it is. The majority of things that you see on there are education videos. So I wanted to make sure that my videos were not just these quick 10 second tips. I wanted to actually train on TikTok. Mm. You know, I wanted to give value. My videos are longer. You know, my videos can be up to seven minutes long. And some people say to me, oh, your videos are too long. But the majority of people say, I really appreciate the time that you've taken to explain this fully, you know, or um, I just I really appreciate um, the way that you've explained this, you know, so that we can understand. And I like the pace that you go at because a lot of the tips are so fast, they find it hard to follow. So that was my thing. I wanted to make 
proper training content on the platform, but I also wanted to build a community. So it's very important that I speak to them like they're my friends, you know, and that's what I try to do is just be really human with them, be authentic. Don't be afraid to show your personality. You know, a lot of people think you have to be very formal on TikTok. You don't need any of that. You know, I think people like it when you you feel and seem like a real authentic person. I think it really comes across and something, you know, uh, certainly even with this podcast and putting out content is, you know, getting over that, that sort of not self-confidence, but you know, I tend to find myself editing the bits that I say a lot more than what the guests say because i guess it's yeah. you know you're more self-critical about what what you're putting out but but i guess you, you do get over that but over time but i think yeah it certainly comes across that you know it becomes very relatable and you want to keep watching and i think i yeah. think that's great um i think about your own niche you know yeah what you're so you know if you can differentiate yourself a little bit so and what's going to be your next big change my next big change. Well, there's lots of things coming up, lots of interesting things. Um, for me, my next big change is going to be um, basically uh, opening up my website, selling my courses my way. <laughs> Fantastic. And if you were to recommend a guest for me to speak to on the podcast, who would it be? Oh, you know what? I would recommend, and this is somebody that I've re only recently sort of interacted with, a lady called Catherine Mondragon. Um, she, she, she. All I will say is that she is an extremely interesting person. I saw her on another podcast, and we kind of connected. We belong to certain Excel groups together. Um, a very interesting person um, to connect with. I would highly recommend. Okay, we'll, we'll, def we'll definitely uh, tag Catherine <laughs> and reach out to her to get an episode uh, recorded. Um, yeah. Deb, I just want to say thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. I wanted to get you on the podcast because um, I've been in that situation where you've been on a Teams call and you've got your Excel shared up on the screen in front of a group, sometimes in front of investors, um, uh, scrutinising every word or, or everything that you say. And it's either not worked or I've got a formula wrong or someone's had to jump in and show me how to do it. And I've seen other people do that as well. And I think, you know, I do think, you know, we, we spoke about embarrassment for when it comes to not knowing Excel skills. And I think, you know, I've been in that situation. I've seen others. And I think what you're doing is is really, you know, focusing, as you say, on on those real basic Excel skills that, that let people down and and people are too afraid to ask so i think I, i'm not surprised that you've gained such such a huge following on social media and i can only see it going one way so i'm um, loving the content and uh look forward to seeing lots more so um so yeah thanks very much for joining me thank you so much for inviting me that was that was really fun <laughs>